Hi, everybody. We are so glad that you're here. Thank you so much for enduring orientation. I don't know if this is your first or second semester with us, but we're so glad that you're with us. And my prayer for you is that as we start into this semester, that you would experience the same kind of evolving revelation of what God's doing in your life and Him saving you and you knowing Him better that thousands of people before you have experienced. And I'm really asking that God would speak to you um, throughout all the great teachers that we've got lined up for this semester. It's going to be great. It's going to be a great time. I, I want to um, just encourage you with one, one little thing as, you know, as we kind of get going. I know you've got, you got your drill groups lined up and you're considering what happens next and you got your sheet with your blanks and everything. I just want to encourage you in this. I, I would like to ask you that the stuff that you engage with in the class becomes the fodder for your quiet time that it's kind of the, the talking points for whatever small group you're in. When you consider your spiritual life, I want this to be ground zero for your spiritual life, not stuff that you hear in church services on the weekends. That's great. But when it comes to daily me processing and praying with God, I want it to be this stuff. Because my experience and that of a whole lot of other people is the deeper that you'll go into this stuff, the more that God will reveal to you. And I want, this, I want this process to be efficient for you. And I want you, as I said, I want you to be more saved. I want you to experience more of his goodness and let him deliver you from all kinds of things. So that's my ask for you going forward this semester. I want to start with um, just a couple of review things from orientation. And this might be a refresher for some of you. I'm going to ask you just a couple of questions. I know you can't answer me but I want you to think about the answer. First question is, how do we know for sure that we're born again? What's your answer to that question? How do we know that we're born again? Think about that. There's an answer in the scriptures. Some of you good students are whispering it into the ear of the person beside you already. And what we said is that it's as easy as one, two, three to know if you're born again, because first John two, three, says, we know that we know him if we obey his commandments. If we obey him, if we're hearing his voice, he's telling us what to do and we're doing those things, then we know that we're born again. That's a really important thing to own going forward because probably even right now, while we're together here um, talking about repentance, you're probably going to hear him telling you to do some things. My advice would be to jot those things down and take the first available opportunity to obey him. That's the way it works with our relationship with him. We've got to be walking in obedience to him if we want to hear him more. So I want to underline that really important principle. The second question I've got for you is, if you want to be deceived, how could you be sure to be deceived? We covered this in orientation. It's a, I'll give you a hint, it's in James chapter 1. If I want to be deceived, what could I do? Hmm? Hmm? Some of you are thinking it, and you're exactly right. James 1.22 says, If you hear God's word and don't do anything about it, you will become deceived. So I'm going to give you that warning one more time too. Don't be deceived. I don't want you to hear stuff about repentance and go, that is really interesting stuff about repentance. Mm, now I can do better on a Bible quiz. That's not what we're here for. We want you to walk in greater obedience and know God more. So I want to urge you, please walk forward in obedience. And when God speaks to you through his word, just take it and obey. Got it? Okay. 
Um, we're going to start in just by getting a quick overview um, of Hebrews 5. We've talked about maturity and that we want to become mature. But let's look at this passage at the end of Hebrews 5 into the beginning of Hebrews 6. Here's what it says. You have need that one, everybody ready to fiddle in your first blank? You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is, here's a magic word, unskilled. So write that in. Everyone that uses milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. He is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have had their senses exercised, that's the next blank, exercised to discern both good and evil. just want to pause there, what we've read so far. It says, some of you are not, you're not ready to teach other people, is what it says just prior to this. It says you're not ready to teach other people. You still have need that people teach you because you are, what was that second blank? You are unskilled. He says you're just a babe. Now that's really interesting that this passage lines up immaturity, which is being a babe, and being unskilled. I didn't understand that growing up. I didn't understand that being mature means that you own some spiritual skills. Um, I thought being mature means I've hung around church a long time and I don't cuss as much as I used to. Ta-da, mature. And I could do pretty good on a Bible quiz. Those things are not the measuring sticks of maturity. According to this passage, you're a baby if you're unskilled and you become mature in as much as you have some certain skills. That's interesting to know. So we're talking about skills here. Um, my next question, if I, if I understand that, is what, what would one do with these skills? Is this something that I just sort of have in the bank somewhere? Well, this, that next blank tells us when it says they're exercised for both good and evil. That means these skills have to be practiced. So we're talking about practiced skills that are an active part of your life. My question hearing that would be, can you tell me what these skills are? I'd love to know. I'd love to be mature. That's kind of what this whole thing is about, is being more like Jesus, receiving him. Maturity is one of the measuring sticks for how well do I know God? Okay, what are they? Well, here they are. They're right here in chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, meaning we've got that down, we understand who he is, let us go on to perfection, or that word is maturity. Let's go on from here into maturity. Not laying again the foundation of, here, come the, here comes the list, repentance from dead works, faith toward God, the doctrine of baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do, God permitting. So there they were, six skills that this is saying are foundational skills. They're elementary teachings that we've got to not only understand, but we're practicing and we own them. So that's part of our curriculum for this class is we're going to walk through what are these skills. The first one in that list, you saw it, was repentance from dead works.
I just want to start with a story that just happened to me, uh, I don't know, when it happened fairly recently. And I was having lunch with a friend um, at Four Corners. Um, and we were talking about money. And we were both struggling with money. And I have known most of my life that I was judgmental towards people with money and even believers with money. And my attitude was always, you know, if you've got money, you're kind of probably selfish or in sin because you should be giving it away because there's poor people and Jesus told us to watch out for poor people and if you have any money, you're, I'm sure you're in error. And it was just part of my you know, self-righteousness. And as we were talking, um, we looked at a Bible verse um, and I just remember a light came on for me. I just understood something that I never understood before and I knew the Bible verse and, and a light bulb came on for me. And uh, I was sitting with a guy named David, and I told David, um, I, I think I've just been saved. And I, hopefully you know what I mean when I say saved. I don't mean that I was born again in that moment. I think that God had just revealed something to me so that I could know him more, and I could walk into more of uh, Christ-likeness that he has for me. So I said, I, I think I just got saved, because I felt that light bulb come on, and I said, um, I want us to go outside. And I want you to lay hands on me and I want to repent. Um, I want to repent for my old beliefs and I want to adopt this new understanding that I have. So we walked outside. I could show you right on the sidewalk where it happened. I sat down, repented. He put his hands on me and he just prayed for me according to this new thing. Well, <clears throat> here's the thing. I, I do think that I was saved more that day. I think that salvation, as we talked about, is this continually um, evolving, it's this continually unfolding journey that we're on with God. And all of us, in varying degrees and in varying places, we're all stuck. We're all stuck in our us-ness. We're stuck in our past, and we're stuck in the sins of our fathers, and we're stuck in our beliefs, and there's lies that we hold on to, and we don't even know that we're holding on to them. And we got brokenness in us, and blah, 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 and all this stuff. Well, okay, Jesus died for you. You happy with that? He died for your sins. Hooray! Yay! Jesus died for me. Okay, now what? Now is it try to act good for the rest of your life? What, what, what happens? What happens to all the brokenness in me? That usually doesn't get magically healed up because I said yes to Jesus and asked him in my heart. What's the process by which God deals with all of my brokenness, all of my past, all the lies that I've believed, all of the shame and guilt I have for my past? How does he deal with this stuff? Where does it go? Does it just sit there and I hope that nobody ever brings it up again for the rest of my life and I just kind of endure the guilt and shame around that stuff? Do I just continue to perpetuate these bad broken habits in my family because it's what happened in my, my family and when we get angry at each other, we blow up and then we don't talk for a week because that's what I saw. Am, am I resigned to that? Well, yeah, I also believe that Jesus died for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, what's the mechanism that God used to bring us to life and to undo our past? I'm happy to tell you, he's got something for that. He's got a solution. He's got medicine for that problem, and it's called repentance. Repentance is really the foundational engine that keeps salvation going. That's what I believe from my study of scriptures. That's what I'm going to share with you here in our time together. Um, I love the subject of repentance. 
when I grew up, I thought, when I thought of repentance, I either thought of a really angry guy on the sidewalk holding up a sandwich board. You sons of bees, you're all out to repent, you losers. You're not as religious as me. Go back to church. Some stupid stuff like that. And I would think, I don't want anything to do with that. Or I would sit in church and have somebody heap guilt on me and make me feel like I'm even worse of a person than I thought I was. And Jesus's standards are so high. And you look at the Sermon on the Mount and go, we're never going to make it. You know, if you look at someone with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. And she's, well, I guess we're, we're screwed. What are we supposed to do with that? Okay, I'm guilty. You win. I'm guilty. What I understand now is that God, as he's speaking to all of us, he's driving us towards this magical thing called repentance. It's not a death sentence. It's a life sentence. It's an offer that he gives us that if you'll walk through this doorway called repentance again and again and again, I'll show you what being born again looks like. I'll show you what it means to get free of your past. I'll show you what it means to not repeat the sins of your parents and go, my family's going to a new place I've never been before. I can't believe I don't deal with the guilt and shame of what I did in college anymore. How can that be? I lived with that guilt for 15 years and now it's gone. What, what is this miraculous miracle? Well, it's repentance. And I want us to become real fans of repentance, not being scared of that word, but loving it. I want us to love it the way that David loved it. I want us to go after it the way that Jesus gives it to us as this prize, this present. And so that's what I want to talk about. So um, I, I, here's, my, here's my first verse that I, I want to share with you. It's 2 Corinthians 7.10. It's an incredible thing. It says this, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Now, have you ever felt sorry for something that you did? Sure you have. And then what did you do with that sorrow? Well, you probably shoved it down. And you might have said sorry to somebody, but a lot of times there's nobody to say sorry to for the things that we do. Maybe we say a little prayer to God. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. And we go on. Usually that attaches itself to us in identity some way. We start identifying with our sin. All sorts of things can happen just by feeling guilty and feeling bad for your sin. This says, godly sorrow brings repentance. Okay, so let's go back to my lunch story with me and David sitting at the table. Something clicked in me that I thought, I've always thought about this wrong. I've been wrong about this. What am I supposed to do with that? I, I, I feel sorry for that. I wish I had never been wrong. Now I see that the, my thought patterns have been damaging to me, anybody who has ever listened to me, and damaging in my relationship to God because it was a lie that I held on to. What am I supposed to do with that? This as godly sorrow brings repentance. Woo, repentance. Now let's just, just put repentance on the shelf. Okay, and we're not sure what that means. Let's just say that it's there. But let's listen to the benefits according to this verse of what repentance does. It leads to salvation. Ding, 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 ding. It leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Anybody interested in a life without regrets? Anybody interested in, like, eating salvation on a daily basis? Of course you are. That's what we want. I want to live salvation, and I want to have no regrets. This verse says that when you feel sorrow, remorse, when you feel the angst of, I've been wrong, when you're stuck in that place, there's a bridge that gets you to salvation and no regrets, no remorse. 
in the name of that bridge is repentance. Mm? Are you interested now? Yes, you are interested. Here's the point. Repentance leads to salvation. I want you to get that. I want you to own that. that you're going to use this skill for as long as you're in this class, and I pray you're going to use it for the rest of your life, and you're going to become an expert at repentance because repentance leads to salvation, baby. We got to have it. It means everything to us. What's the mechanism whereby God's grace is applied to me? Jesus died on the cross. What am I supposed to do about that? How do I apply that blood to my life? Repentance is the answer. So here's what it says. Let's go back into this verse. Repentance from dead works. That was the, that was the list um, in Hebrews 6. Repentance from dead works. Let's just look at that phrase. First of all, what is repentance? The definition of repentance is, it's the, the, the Greek word is metanoia, mean, meaning a change of mind. I'm changing the way that I think. I'm changing the way that I believe about something. I changed the way that I believed about money and people with money that day sitting with David. Anytime God changes your mind about anything, even what repentance is, he's changing your beliefs about something. The word repent was used as a military word for a long time, and it meant that I'm walking forward, I'm, I'm marching forward in one direction, and I repent, I stop moving that direction, I turn around 180 degrees, and I start walking in the other direction. So it's a complete reversal of what you've been doing, the way you've been thinking and believing, and your actions, of course, come after that. That's what repentance is. So if you repent of an unwholesome relationship in your life, you don't just say, well, we're going to try to curb this area that we've got going on. True repentance would mean we're stopping it, we're turning the other way. That might mean breaking off the relationship altogether. It might mean we have to have a hard conversation about what things are going to look like going forward. It's not sort of kind of turning a couple of degrees. It's turning exactly the opposite way. I have friends who God's put, their fing God's put his finger on their life regarding alcohol. Alcohol is not a safe place for you. You know what they don't do from that? Boy, I really need to just be aware of alcohol. And so I know I'm going to be drinking tonight, so I just need to be careful of that. No, that's not what repentance looks like. Repentance means you run the opposite direction. If alcohol is a dangerous place for me, we're not doing it, at least for a while. We're staying away from it because it's poison to me. I'm running the other direction. Make sense? Turning around, okay? So that's repentance. And then it says it's repentance from dead works. I like to spend a little bit of time on what dead works is. A dead work, my basic definition, is a work that has no life in it. It has no life in it. That's a dead work for you. So th there's, a, there's a couple of verses um, that describe what life looks like for us. Ephesians 2.10 says, um, We are God's workmanship created to do good works. That means that that doesn't mean that when you get born again, he's like, go good, go do some good works. Good luck. Try to collect as many good work points as you can. It just means that now that you're in Christ, your life forward as you walk in him, there are there are passages that he's already planned out for you to go into. So if there's somebody that he gives you to marry and you marry them, that's a good work. That's one of the things that he planned in advance for you to do. Um, you are supposed to take this job, you're supposed to move to this city, whatever. Whenever you walk in ways that please the Lord, those are the good works he's talking about. And it could be 
encouraging somebody. It could be giving money to somebody. All that stuff. Again, we're not out. We're not trying to collect good works points. We're just trying to walk in the ways that he has for us. Those are the kind of good works that he's planned in advance for us to do. Okay, put a pin in that. Jeremiah 29 says, I know the plans that I have for you and their plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You might know that verse. But it stands to reason that God's plans for me are different than his plans for you, right? You don't have my career. You don't have the calling that he has for me. Um, you don't have the specific gift sets and the relationships that I have. He has plans to do good for me and to prosper me in the places where I am. And he has a different set of plans for you to do good to you and to prosper you in the places where you are. Now, if you could imagine your life in a timeline, let's just imagine that, probably should go like this, in a timeline, you can see this timeline, there are bullet points along the way where he has planned good works for you and he's planned places that he wants to bless you. Now, when you walk in those ways, there's works that have life in them. You actually find him and meet with him as you do those things. When you express your giftings, my friend Adam, he's an encourager. And when he encourages, he feels like he's with God. He, when he encourages, just like, this is, this is what God wants me to do. I can feel his pleasure right now. That's a good work where he's walking with him. When he gets in the flesh and he starts acting up and being disobedient and rambunctious and rebellious, he might give a critical word to somebody that wasn't God's heart for him at that moment. That becomes a dead work to him. It doesn't lead to life. There's no grace in it. He actually opposes God's will for his life. And that, that isn't necessarily an immoral thing. Okay, so if God's telling me, I'm not saying he always tells you which car to buy, but if, he's, if you get a real indication, this red car is for you, I want you to have this car. And you go, I think the white one looks sportier and cooler, I've got to go with the white one. Now you just opposed the, his peace in your heart and buying that car became a dead work to you. It's not, an, it's not a moral or immoral choice, it's just something where you didn't follow the way that he was leading you to go. This is repentance from those dead works. How do we get out of those things? Um, of course, in dead works is every sin, the guilt and shame you feel from your past. All of that world of stuff is found in that phrase, dead works. So we need to develop the skill. How do you repent from dead works? Consider this question. What can lead to dead works? You doing stuff that isn't God's purpose for you. Just consider that for a second. It's probably different for all of us, and we're going to be talking about those through the course of this class. Think about that. What could lead to dead works? I'll suggest a few. Pride. If there's pride in me, I'm, I'm afraid of being shown up, or I'm afraid of being vulnerable or being seen for who I really am. I could do all sorts of stupid stuff just so I could protect my little preciously curated image of myself I'm trying to portray to the world. What about fear? Fear can lead you into a whole world of trouble just because you're holding on to a fear of whatever um, and it can lead you into dead works. What about the feeling of being abandoned or rejected? Man, are you kidding? That stuff can lead you into all sorts of wicked stuff. So. The kind of stuff that leads you into dead works, which definitely includes all sin, but sometimes it's just not obeying him. 
um, all, of those, all of those sources, we're gonna try to unearth the major components of that throughout this class. We're gonna try to unearth what those things are. But I want you to understand that the dead works that you and I get ourselves into, they come from all sorts of places. Um, my, my religion and my sense of self-righteousness and self-justification and pride and all that stuff, well, that led to the dead works of the stuff that I believed and probably said about people with money. And, you know, so if I'm going to start working my way backwards and I feel bad about that, well, how can I repent of these things? And so I can experience salvation and life with no regrets. Um, I got to deal with those, those patterns that, that led to um, those dead works. Okay. Let me just define a word here because we said that it leads to salvation. For our purposes, we're going to say that salvation is God's process of reconciling you to his purposes. Salvation is God's process of reconciling you to his purposes, his original purposes. When he says that he, uh, Ephesians 2.10, he saved us for good works. And Jeremiah 29, he has good plans for you. What, what, what are those things? He's trying to get us back to those good plans that he has for us. Salvation is the process of him getting us back there. And salvation is not possible without repentance. It's just not. It's the, it's the mechanism that God used. Did you remember? I'll say it again. Repentance leads to salvation with no regrets. That's 2 Corinthians 7.10 again. Okay. Um, I, I want to just tease a, a little some benefits of, of, of um, repentance to you before we move on. So we got a couple of verses for you. Ezekiel 18.32 says... I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. He wants you to repent. He wants you to run away from death. God does not happy with you dying. He's not in the punishment and sending to hell business. That's not his main MO. What he's after is you to repent and to live. Luke 13, 3, really simple verse. Jesus said this to the Pharisees, Unless you repent, you will all perish. I could say this to anybody hearing my voice, really simple truth. If you don't repent, you're going to hell. That's just simple fact. And I would say, even if you're a believer, I would say to you, my friend, if you don't repent, you're not going to experience the fullness of what God has for you. I want to set you again on a lifetime of repentance. And by next week, you're going to be an expert at it because we're going to just put you through all these drills and you're going to be repenting. And it's going to be great. It's going to be great. By the way, if while I'm talking, you, some things are being brought to your mind, like when I said stuff you did in college, you go, oh boy, I remember what I did in college. Great. Pull out a pen, go to the back page of your notes, and just scribble some things that you already know you're going to need to repent of. If I talk about stuff in your family, oh man, why did that come to mind? Great. Just jot it down, and you're going to be building up a list of stuff that you're going to cover in your group. And that's why we have, that's why we make that space for you, is so you can get this stuff out, start talking with people who can walk you through the process of repentance. It's going to lead to salvation, no regrets. It's going to be very good. Okay, last little point I want to make before we move on is what, what demons are. What are demons? Um, our, my simple definition is a demon is a spiritual terrorist. Um, but they are spiritual beings who, in league with Satan, they seek to steal, kill, and destroy by attacking believers in Jesus' blood. 
We believe in Jesus' blood that he sets us free. Well, a demon's job, we talked about this in orientation, they are expertly organized team, an army that wants to prevent you from, um, from experiencing the life that Jesus shed blood affords you. So they want to do that at every turn. They want to lie to you. They want to steal goodness from you. They want to hide God's grace from you so that you can't get it. Um, I, I hate that they exist, but they do. They're talked about in scriptures a lot. And um, they're spiritual terrorists. They take people hostage. They, they blind us. They want to lock you into the lies of your past, etc. We are dead set against that um, process of you being... Um, terrorized and imprisoned and we want to do everything we can to just nuke those doors open the gates let you experience God's goodness in every part of your life of course it's going to require if we go through this process of repentance it's going to require you doing some really open vulnerable and transparent talking to your group so we not only endorse that we require it it's going to have to be the case your drill group leaders, um, when necessary, they are going to hold your feet to the fire and say, Bob, you're not quite being expressive enough. We're going to need you to say what you mean when you say bad things happened in my family. I'm sorry, you're gonna, we're going to have to get to the bottom of that. Let's talk. Let's go. Because we don't repent uh, you know, in generalities. We're going to have to repent very specifically and say, look, this is what happened. I've believed this thing. It might have been a sin of my grandparents, but it was passed down to me. It's in me somewhere. I might not understand it, but I'm coming to realize something's there, and i got to repent of it. i got to get this thing out. I hope you guys, when I'm saying that, I hope you guys understand what I mean, that when you repent, it's not necessarily saying, I'm guilty. I did something wrong. So there might be a spirit of bitterness and backbiting in your family, and you go, well, I didn't start that. Why would I repent? Repent is simply raising the white flag and saying, I need a savior here. I need help. So you, you might not have to, you know, take total ownership responsibility for the stuff, for instance, that came to you through the generations. But repentance means I need help. Come save me. I see that I'm trapped here. Save me. That's what repentance is. Now, um, Ephesians 6.12 tells us, and we went over this in orientation, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and rulers. It's against these demonic forces. So we understand that, you know, your leader and the leaders of this class, we understand that we're not afraid of demons. Um, I, they're stronger than us. I, I don't mean to say that I'm stronger than them um, or that I don't have the fear of God or respect for them. I do, but because of the authority that Jesus gives me, I'm not afraid of them. I'm not afraid of going there because he gives us the power to tell them to leave, um, which, is, uh, which is a blank coming up here. So your sheet says they, in, they inhabit strongholds in our soul where we give the permission. Believers still have the authority to break strongholds. That's what we call the places that they inhabit. And, and that's backed up by Bible. That's not our term. To break strongholds and to cast devils out to cast them out. Matthew 10 says, He called His twelve disciples to Him and He gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. I want to take a moment just so you can understand this picture of what happens in our souls when we deal with um, these spiritual terrorists and, and just illustrate this for you. <clears throat> 
Now, Ephesians 6 says that our struggle is against demons. There's a verse in 1 Thessalonians 5 that describes us as being body, soul, and spirit. There's three parts to you if you didn't know that. The deepest part of you, who you really are, who, who God looks at and, he, and who he talks to and who he sees you as, the truest part of you, that's your spirit. And that thing is pure. That's the part of you that was born again and, it was, and the old part of you was removed and now there's this pure thing in you, your spirit. This is where you hear God's voice perfectly. You have an identity in him as a son of God, etc. Now around that spirit, this is, this is 1 Thessalonians 5 again, it's there, we have a soul. And our soul, we kind of think of it as going around your spirit because I, I usually have a tougher time hearing from my spirit than I do my soul. And your soul is comprised of your mind, your will, and your emotions. I can, I'm usually pretty well in touch with my mind, my thoughts, and my emotions. What my spirit's doing, I kind of have to put a little more work in to hear that. So th there's kind of a stew of stuff in your soul, your mind, will, and your emotions. And in your mind, your will, and your emotions, you know this, is you know this to be true. Sometimes you think ungodly things, and sometimes you think of the truth, and sometimes you think on fallen things, and you're a mess. And um, if I were to look at your emotions at any given time or your thoughts and say, well, are you born again or not? And I was looking at that as a measuring stick. Sometimes you go, I, I am seeming like a complete non-believer right now. That's because that's not where we find that stuff. We, we find salvation in your spirit. And actually, it emanates out from your spirit. That's how I think of it, is it emanates out, and then it starts affecting your soul. That's why somebody who could get born again who's an alcoholic, and the next day they're still an alcoholic, but they're born again. And what we would expect to see, and what the Bible would promise us, is that their spirit would then emanate out into their soul and start affecting their will towards alcohol, their mind and their thoughts towards alcohol, and their emotions towards alcohol. Make sense? Well, that happens to us in all sorts of ways. I don't mean to be picking on alcohol tonight. It just came to mind. Okay. The third part of you, according to 1 Thessalonians 5, is your body. And your body, the Bible tells us that your body is in perfect league with the world. So when you look at a billboard, you look at a TV ad, whatever, it is appealing to your flesh. It's not appealing to your spirit. It's not appealing to what's true. It's appealing to that lowest part of you that goes, delicious food, sexy babe, whatever the thing is. It's appealing to your flesh. And just a little tip for you, the world, the devil, and your flesh are in cahoots. They're a team among themselves. They speak the same language. Paul says in Romans 7 that, his, that he has to fight with his flesh all the time. So part of becoming mature is knowing how to deal with your flesh and these impulses um, the places that are sending messages to our brain. I sometimes think of a football field, if this helps you. I think of a football field where one end zone is the flesh team and one end zone is the spirit team. And they are trying to push the ball of your soul. They're trying to push that thing down the field. And you and I are constantly, we're either going to listen to the messages coming from our flesh or the messages coming from the spirit of God that lives in us. And in Romans 7, Paul describes that as a war. There is a war going on, and it's a war to control your soul. Your spirit has been born again, and you've been made new, and you're ironclad in, in him. Your flesh 
is not going to be born again until you die. And we'll talk about that at length when we talk about a resurrection from the dead. But when you die, your flesh is going to be born again. But until then, you're carrying this carcass around for as long as you live on earth, and we've got to learn how to deal with it because it's going to continue to send messages to our soul, appealing to our will, appealing to our mind and to our emotions and self-pity and, and trying to glorify yourself and be seen as somebody who's always right and you know what you're doing. That's crap all comes from your flesh, those messages. And you and I need to learn how to bob and weave our way through the messages coming from our flesh that want to get into our soul. I believe that your soul is where demons hang out. That's where strongholds are. They can't get into our spirit. Our spirit has been born again, it's, and our spirits move only towards the Lord. We have a yes in our spirit toward God. But our soul, our soul is messy. All sorts of trash gets in there. We can get cleansed, we can purify it, and then stuff gets in because we receive new messages from the world and the devil and from our flesh, etc. And so we're in this constant battle there. Um, and I, I want you to understand that when we talk about demons, we're talking about impurities or impediments that are in your soul. And we believe, the Bible teaches us, that if we'll come into repentance, we'll come into agreement with God, we can cast those suckers out. And it doesn't have to be a long, grisly process either. You can look at the way that, well, we talked about this orientation. I'm repeating myself, but you can look at the way Jesus talked to demons and it wasn't always, well, it was rarely a long drawn out process. It was usually like, shut up, leave him. And that's it. And so that's what's going to happen in your groups is we're going to deal with strongholds the same way. Look, the enemy's preying on you. You've got this guilt in your past, this belief system that God's identifying to you. We're going to repent of it. And we're going to get the enemy out of there and we're going to move on. Whew, it's going to be so great. Okay, so let's fill in these blanks on your sheet here. So by repenting from dead works, we fall out of cooperation with demons, canceling our association with that former life, and move back toward the purpose for which we were called. That's salvation. Jesus said, I want you to believe and I want you to obey. Believe and obey. We, hear, we get this new truth from God. We repent and we walk out into this new life. That's how it works. So I'll read this sentence again now that you sort of understand these terms. I'm connecting the dots from all these terms we went over. So by repenting, think turning around, from dead works, those things that didn't help us, they didn't help us know God, they didn't move us forward in life, we fall out of cooperation with demons, canceling our association with that former life, and we move back toward the purpose for which we were created. That's salvation, baby. That's what we want. That's what we want to give you. That's why we put this whole class together. So we want you to experience it. Now, if I told you repentance is possible, it's real, it leads to salvation, every good thing you ever wanted in God, you can have it, and salvation, I mean, and repentance is kind of the engine that makes that all happen. You would go, what is it? How do I do it? Give me the goods. Wouldn't it be great if somebody could just give you a simple recipe that would just tell you how to do it? We're doing that. We're doing that for you. That's right. We're giving you the recipe right here. How do you do it? Here it is. Number one. Now, this is just a method that we've come up with over time, having walked a whole bunch of people through this process. 
This is, not, this is Bible supported, but you're not going to find this recipe in the Bible. This is Uncle Stevie's recipe. It's a delicious stew. You're going to want to eat it over and over again. This is just what we've come up with. So I don't pretend that this, there's a Bible verse that tells you to do it this way, although each of these pieces is certainly biblically supported. Okay, the first thing that you do is confess. And the Bible gives a lot of weight to actually saying something with your mouth, actually confessing something. Um, I'll throw out a couple of verses on this. James 5 says, Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another and you will be healed. Bam, that's good news. That, and that's a pretty solid verse. Confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, you will be healed. Um, Proverbs 28 says, um, Whoever covers over his sin will not prosper but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. It's a great verse. You won't prosper if you cover every sin. You'll find mercy if you do. And 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful to forgive us of that sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Man, that's what I'm after. I know that my vision of Jesus and my ability to talk to him, it is impeded by all sorts of filters and trash that get in the way between me and him. And what I can do by confessing sin and walking into repentance, I can remove those things one by one. And I can just walk into this, uh, just, an easier, uh, just an easier way of hearing him. Um, so, I don't mean to suggest that you can't hear God if you got a bunch of unconfessed sin in you. That, that's certainly not true, because if it weren't for his voice, we would be trapped in our sins forever. He's the one that brings these things up. So that's why, like, that's why I want you to pay attention when, when I'm talking about something, you go, well, something just came into my mind that just happened six months ago with my mom. Jot that down, write that down so that you can deal with it. It's his grace that he brings things up. It's his grace that he leads us into repentance. I used to think when God con convicted me of a sin that he was telling me how much he hates me and what a loser I am, and I need to head for the hills and go hide, because I don't, want, I don't want God to think I'm bad, I want him to think that I'm good. I don't feel that way anymore. Now, when I feel that he convicts me of sin, the first thought I have is, he's inviting me into a new level of repentance. Repentance equals salvation with no regrets. I would like more of that. So I'm eager for repentance. I want him to convict me of sin. I'm not afraid of that. He doesn't hate me. He's not looking for reasons to, to condemn me. He's looking for reasons to, for me to come to him closer and to know him better. So uh, as I've already said, we really want to change your attitude about that. Okay, confessing is a huge thing. We have to name the places where we've been trapped, and we have to confess specifically what's been going on. If you speak in generalities in your groups, your leaders are going to say, not good enough keep talking. Come on, tell us exactly what, well, my wife and I got in a fight and um, I realized I said some things that I shouldn't have said. Well, a good leader would stare at you if you say that. Go, is that a beginning of a story? Are you about to tell us what happened? Because that's not good enough. You need to tell us. So we, we need to confess specifically and we need to confess one to another. I know plenty of people who they, they have uh, the weight of guilt on them and they feel like, well, I've told God about it 
and I just don't feel free. Oh, well, yeah, you don't feel free because the scriptures say that you confess your sins to each other. You need to find a human. Find somebody who loves you and knows God and understands this skill and confess to them and then let, you walk, let them walk you through repentance. That's my advice. So that's step one is to confess specifically. Number two, this is what I can promise you is going to happen as you confess sin to any of, any of leaders that we've trained is the first words that come out of their mouth will be, you're forgiven. So that's the second thing is speak forgiveness. Don't just go, well, I'm sure God forgives you and we can assume that. No, no, don't assume that. You say that to somebody. You say, you're forgiven. Or you can even say, I forgive you. It's done. I, I'm, I am applying Jesus's blood to you in that instance when I say, you're forgiven. And I'll give you a tip. If you're ever ministering to somebody, and this will happen, as you start getting good at this skill, people will start confessing sins to you. It'll just happen. It could be a cashier. It could be a waiter. It could be people at work. They will confess sins to you. And when they do, look them in the eye and say, I forgive you. Tell them that they're forgiven. It's a huge, huge thing because there's power there. Number three, after we speak forgiveness, we command the evil spirit whatever it is, whatever the sin is or whatever the trap is, whether it's lying or greed or adultery or violence or whatever the thing is, command that thing to leave. Now, um, this is a little bit confusing because I, I, I don't assume that everywhere there's sin, there's a, there's a demon present. I don't assume that there's a stronghold for everything that you ever have done. Usually a stronghold is built around a repeated pattern where we believe a lie, we let the enemy in, and we start protecting a little space. That's when the enemy comes and hides out there. It's like a, it's like a pile of trash in an alley that nobody ever cleans up. Eventually rats are going to find that pile of trash and they start living there. Now, you, if you throw down a Coke can, for the, I mean, it's not like immediately there's a rat there nor is a demon immediately present for every time that you say yes to the flesh. So I don't believe that, but we, what we do in this class is as a practice, because we want to feel comfortable with dealing with the enemy, we don't want to be scared of it, we just want to do our due diligence because we don't, we don't have really have time to even talk now. How much has fear been a part of your life? Did it start when you're 12 years old? What's the initial hurt that happened? What was the lie? Was it a multi-generational thing, etc.? We don't have to go into that with every time anybody, anybody uh, confesses anything to you, and we won't do that in this class necessarily. But what we do just as a habit is to just say, okay, if you just um, confess to me that you had lustful thoughts, um, or I don't know, maybe you acted on, uh, acted on that, I don't know, what, or whatever the deal is, I'm going to command out a demon of lust in Jesus' name, lust, leave Jim, he doesn't agree with you anymore, he confesses these things. That's it. That's as, simple, that's as simple as it goes. It doesn't have to get more complex. certainly doesn't need to be more dramatic. We just want to do our due diligence. I hope that makes sense. Command the evil spirit to, the last blank is, leave. Command it to leave. And, and according to Matthew 10, whenever we command these things to go, and there's somebody that no longer agrees with them, they have to go. They have to submit and leave. You could do that with yourself, by the way, um, um, when, if I feel that something's preying on my mind and, I, you know, I'm dealing with my thoughts or whatever, and I think I get to a point for me where, you know what, this has been a repeated 
pattern of like the thought of bitterness about taking up an offense against somebody, I'll just speak out loud in my car and just go, in Jesus' name, all these thoughts of bitterness and of being offended, you have to leave in Jesus' name. I don't agree with you. Matter of fact, I'm going to start blessing that person that I was tempted to take up bitterness or offense against. So anyways, you have that authority. Fourth thing is to invite the Holy Spirit to live in that place. Invite the Holy Spirit to live there. Um, Luke 7 tells us when dealing with demons, when you remove, this is straight out of Jesus' mouth, when you remove a demon, you don't leave the place vacant that it has lived in, in that soul spot. There's been a little piece of ground that it's occupied. Think again of the pile of trash where a rat has lived. We get the rat out. We clean out the trash by repentance. And guess what I'm going to do from there forward? I'm going to put a rat trap in the alley because I know rats have hung around here. They might come back here. Same thing when you repent of some stronghold in your life. We're asking the Holy Spirit to come back there and to be a rear guard for us. Holy Spirit, I have not given you permission to be in this spot. I'm asking you right now that you would come live there. You need to retrain my thoughts, my, my will, and my emotions here. Come, Holy Spirit, we want you to come. So when somebody confesses sin to me, I look them in the eye. I tell them, you're forgiven. I get the enemy off of that property, just as due diligence. I don't necessarily know whether he's there or not, but I'm just going to command anything that might be there to get off. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to go back into that place. Now, Lord, we're giving you this spot. We want you to reign in this place. And I do one final thing, which is number five, and that's to bless the specific areas of struggle. That just means that if you have continually stolen um, office supplies at work and you're finally, that you got this revelation, man, I'm trapped in this thing. I need to confess this. This sounds stupid. By the way, we all feel stupid confessing our sins. So just get used to it. It's going to happen in your group. It's fine. I feel stupid confessing. I'm stealing office supplies. Great. You're going to confess it. I've stolen office supplies. That person is going to look you in the eye and say, number one, you're forgiven. I don't care how petty it seems. If God's convicting you, deal with it. And at the end of that time, that person's going to say to you, I bless you. Now that person is thinking not of your soul or what you've done or your flesh. They're thinking of your spirit and who you are in Christ. And they're going to affirm that part of you. So if you are Billy and you told me about stealing off supplies, I would say, Billy, I bless you that you are a man of integrity because Jesus lives in you because the spirit lives in you. So I know who you were created to be and I'm affirming that. You're not a thief. You're somebody who's actually generous. You're not selfish. You're not stingy and self-concerned. You are somebody, I'm just affirming who Jesus is in you here, you're somebody who gives sacrificially to others. You're not looking to see what you'll get out of a situation. You are going to be a generous person, and I bless God's character in you. And, and so I'm going to help you by blessing you to become that thing. I want to get you back on track, right? I want to get you back that salvation process, getting you back into the person that God created you to be so that you can experience that life path that Jesus died to afford you. Now, anybody think that any of that stuff's good news? Anybody? No? Yeah? Okay. Um, I, I want to ask you to, to just ask God before we get up from here. I want you to ask him, 
Are there any areas in my life where there have been dead works or dead patterns of thought? Now, don't do any degree of evaluation here. Just write down everything that you hear, everything that kind of springs up out of your heart, and there will be stuff. Just start jotting it down. And you're going to have time here over the next week to kind of create a list so that when you go into your group, you're going to be ready. You're going to go, look, there, here's some stuff that's just at the top of the heap. You might not even know what it means or what to call it, but we're going to have a place to do that in our groups where we repent. And somebody is going to do what I, that recipe I just gave you. That's exactly what's going to happen in your groups. You're going to have a leader that's going to walk you exactly through that thing. They're going to, they're going to forgive you remove the enemy, they're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come in, and they're going to bless you the opposite of whatever the belief is that you've engaged in, whatever the action is, whatever. And I'll just say this again, um, just in conclusion here. Jesus gave us an amazing gift in repentance. It doesn't matter what subject it is that we're dealing with, whether we're going to be dealing with fear or rejection or abandonment or religion or bitterness, or whatever it is, repentance is the way out that he gave us so that we can come back into fellowship, that our thoughts can get right, that our actions can get right. We praise God for repentance. I want this for you. I want a year from now when somebody says the word repentance, I want your heart to leap in you to go, I've tasted the goodness of God because of repentance. I'm a fan of repentance. I'm looking for opportunities to repent. I want him to convict me of any sin because I've felt how good it is when he puts his finger on something and I repent. And going back to 2 Corinthians 7, I get saved. I get, it leads me into salvation and I start experiencing a life with no regrets. I bless you all in Jesus' name for everybody that'll see this, that you would live a life of repentance so that you would have the kind of refreshing that Acts talks about that come when you repent, that you would, you would get what Jesus wants for you. He said, I don't I take the delight in anybody perishing. Repent and live. I bless you guys to repent and live. And I pray that this message will be a blessing to you, an encouragement to you. In Jesus' name, thanks. Bye.